Let's uh, move on in our study this week. Man, this is a good one. I like Joshua chapter 3. As I said earlier, I, I like all of Joshua, but I, I like Joshua chapter 3. I really do. And uh, I have some handouts for you tonight. You'll need a pen or a pencil uh, to write with. I've got some blanks for you to fill in. Uh, take one and pass it around. Somebody over on this side, help me. Here comes Joe. Okay, well, I'll just let you ladies fight over it. When I was in school, we used to rejoice over girl fights. Girl fight, girl fight. The toughest boy in my high school was a girl. She, <laughs> her name was Debbie. I'll never forget it. She beat up her boyfriend, Butchie Kelly. That was his name. She beat up Butchie Kelly one day after school. It, it was quite funny. It really was. <laughs> okay, everybody got one? Got something to write with? Okay, who needs something to write with? Well, they got pens down at the dime store for, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think I have any. I really honestly don't think I have some. If there's some back at the desk or whatever, go get them and, and distribute those. All right. Here we go. Chapter 3, Book of Joshua records an exciting story of transformation. Amen? The Israelites find themselves on the bank of the Jordan River anticipating a new season of blessing in their nation and in their life. How many of you would love to have a new season? That's where they were and, and, and expecting. Along with the anticipation came some questions out of how this impossible crossing would be possible. The things that are impossible to man are not impossible to God. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, in Scripture, the Jordan River is often pictured as an obstacle to overcome. Conversely, it can represent a time of new and exciting adventures. The key is how you see it when you're standing on the bank. I like that statement a lot. The key is how you view it when you're standing on the bank. And we have to try to understand what they were thinking and feeling. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, Israel was now on the brink of obtaining the promises that God had made to them. The atmosphere was charged with expectation. They were excited. But the question then was, how do we proceed? How do we go forward from here? Well, we're going to find out from chapter 3 exactly tonight some of the things that we need to know and some of the provision that we need to have in order to move from where we have been to where God wants us to be. So let's begin. The first, uh, let's read Joshua chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, 
As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So here's the first principle that we need to understand tonight is that when a transition is about to take place in our lives, it requires, and you'll want to write this into your empty blank, it requires the divine presence of God. I don't know about you tonight, but I don't want to go anywhere where he's not going with me. But wherever he's going, I want to be in that train. I want to be going where he is going. Now, we're reminded this week that 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 there's been a generational transfer from Moses to Joshua. So as they're standing here, they have yet to really uh, see the leadership capability of Joshua. So it's it, just like all of us, when we're at a place of transformation, we tend to pull information from our past. We tend to think about the way things were, the way things have been, how we were able to move successfully from one place to another in the past. And our natural assumption is, is that it will happen in the same way. And the truth is, it may or may not happen in the same way. Still, we are able to draw faith from our experiences from yesterday. So we're reminded that when God called Moses and confirmed his calling, he gave him two miraculous happenings in response to his question as to whether or not God was going to be with him. And the first of them, you remember well, is when God spoke to Moses and said, what's that in your hand? And he had a, a rod in his hand. He had a, had a stick in his hand. And he said, throw it down on the ground. And you know what happened when he threw it down on the ground. That rod turned into a snake. Now, I'm like Wendy Bagwell. Do you have a back door? And they said, no, we don't have a back door. And he said, reckon where you'd like to have one. I, I, I'm not into snake handling. Our churches, uh, we don't do that. And if we start doing it, I'm going to a different denomination. I'm just telling you right now. I'm not going to have anything to do with snakes other than when I see one, I'm going to run like crazy. I don't like snakes. And it would have been the hardest thing for me to do what God then told him to do next because he said, throw it down on the ground. It became a live uh, uh, snake on the ground. And he said, now reach down and pick it up. Now that would take faith for me. I, I would want to get a shovel and cut its head off. God said, pick it up. And so when he reaches down and picks it up, we know that the snake turned back into a stick, back into a rod. And so that was the first confirmation that God gave Moses to let him know that no matter what you face, you need to understand that my power goes with you. My authority is with you. And when you act in obedience to me, then the impossible becomes possible through my anointing and through my power. And then he speaks to him a second time and he says, take your hand and put it inside your cloak. And you know what happened, don't you? When he took it out of his cloak, his hand was covered with leprosy. His hand was diseased. And so now the Lord speaks to him and says, now put it back in. And he puts it back inside his cloak. And when he pulls it back out, his hand is just as clean and whole as it ever was. So the point is, is that God's saying, look, you don't have to fear anything. 
because I am with you. I'm going with you everywhere you go. In fact, I'm going to be leading. Just today, it just dawned on me, and I was praying, and I said, you know, Lord, it seems like that lately as I've been reading the Word of God, I've been noticing a lot of angelic activity that's going on in the Word of God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks back, I, I preached to you about Daniel and how that he was praying for 21 days, and then the answer came. How did that answer came? Who delivered that answer? It was an angelic being. And then, and then we, we've talked about others who angels came and, and spoke clearly to them about, about what God was saying. And, and the, today I was, talk, I was reading in Scripture about, uh, in, in Genesis about Abraham uh, who called his servant and he said, I want you to go into my country and into where my clan lives and I want you to pick out a wife for my son Isaac and I want you to bring her back so that he can marry someone from my country and my clan. And the servant said, but what if she won't come? And Abraham, by faith, he declared, he said, he said the angel of the Lord will go before and prepare the way. And they will come because God has made a promise and God is going to fulfill the promise. He said, but if for some odd, crazy reason she will not come, then don't bring anybody. Just don't take Isaac to that land. He said, I'd rather him not have anyone at all than to have someone that is outside of my, my clan and my territory. But here's the point. He believed that God was already seeing in the spiritual realm what was getting ready to take place in the natural realm. God is not surprised by anything. He knows everything that is going to happen. He already knows how you're going to respond. He already knows whether you're going to be obedient or disobedient. And based on the knowledge that he has, he's already putting all the pieces in place to your victory and to the answer to your prayer. And so the, the angelic beings are active right now, even in this room putting together the things that need to take place in our lives that will bring you victory and will bring glory to God. So God is saying, hey, you don't worry. He said, if I have the power to take that stick in your hand and turn it into a snake and then return it to its natural state, if I have the power to cause your hand to be leprous and then speak healing to it, then there's nothing that you'll face on this journey that I am not able to do. What confidence that is. Don't you wish God did that for us all the time? Don't you wish that every time a decision had to be made that God would give you that kind of confirmation? But he doesn't always do that. In fact, sometimes we have uh, situations like Thomas when he said, I, I won't be able to believe unless I do see. And, and Jesus did show him. He said, give me your hand. Put it in my side. Put it in my hand. And, 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 but then he said, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So there's a balance here. There will be times when God will do the miraculous in order to bolster your faith and help you to understand that this season I'm getting ready to enter into is one that is by his hand. And I'm going to be operating in his authority and under his anointing. And there will be other times that you just simply have to, you just have, to have faith. You have to believe even though you can't see it. So he confirmed Moses, and now he's saying to Joshua in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he says, have I not told you that just as, God, just as I've been with Moses, 
I'm now going to be with Joshua. Now, the visible confirmation that they're going to have of the presence of God is the Ark of the Covenant. We, we understand from uh, chapter 3, and he says in verse 3, he commanded the people, as soon as you see, when your eyes, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So, in other words, with their physical eyes, they were going to be able to see uh, where God was moving and where he was leading them. All they had to do was stay focused on the physical presence of God. Now, the second thing that we see is found in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. And you'll want to fill this in on your piece of paper. We'll have to have divine holiness. Holiness is the word, or if you prefer the word purity, you can put that there as well. So God commands, and let, let's look at verse 4. It says, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So God has just said the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before you, but you can't go up close to where it is. You have to remain at least 2,000 cubits away from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, just, just for your information, I did the math this week. A cubit is 18 inches. And so if you do all, if you do all the math, God is saying, don't get within 2,000 cubits of, of the Ark of the Covenant. Then he's talking about 10 football fields, approximately, that they could not get, get within that distance. Now, if you know about, in your mind, the distance of a football field, God is saying, you've got to stay 10 of those away from the Ark of the Covenant. And that's a long way. You have to ask yourself, how, how are we going to even be able to see 10 football fields? Some of us can't see to the five-yard line. And he's talking about 10 football fields. Now, there are, a couple of, there are a couple of theories as to why God wants this distance. The first one, and, and uh, you'll want to fill this in, the first one is called the purity factor. It's what commentators call the purity factor. In other words, how, how, just so that you'll know, you were never supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, right? You could never put your hands on the Ark of the Covenant. When it was moved, they had poles that went in the, the brackets on the side, and they would put those in, and, and they would lift the Ark of the Covenant up on their shoulders and touch the poles, but they were to never touch the Ark of the Covenant. He said, if you ever do, you will surely die. And you remember when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into their possession uh, in David's day, uh, they stumbled and fell and accidentally put their hand on the Ark of the Covenant to steady it and to keep it from going to the ground, and they immediately were struck dead because they touched the Ark of the Covenant. So it's a very serious thing. So God knew that he needed to keep his people safe. He needed to keep them 
pure. He needed to keep them in, in a state of separation, if you will. And so some theologians believe that that's the reasoning behind the, dis, the, the, the distance here. He wants them to keep their distance so that they will be safe, so that they will, be, so that they will have that distance and that safety uh, valve, if you will. But now the other theory is what is called the paradigm factor, the paradigm factor. And what they're saying here is paradigm is spelled P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M. And it's not pronounced paradigm, okay? I've heard some people say that, but it's paradigm, paradigm. And, and a paradigm is, is, is a period of time or a place in time. And what they're saying is, is that the paradigm now is shifting. It's changing. And the reason is that, that the book of Joshua says, you have not traveled this way before. And so the word is very clear here. You've never passed this way before. And so there's a paradigm shift. Now, in the past, they had followed the cloud and the fire. The cloud in the day, if you'll remember, and the fire at night. If God decided to move in the day, he would put the cloud in the sky. As long as the cloud stayed stationary, they stayed put. If the cloud moved, then they followed the cloud. At night, it was a pillar of fire. If the pillar of fire was remaining in a stationary position, they stayed put. But if the fire was moving, then they moved with God. But God wasn't going to do that for them any longer. He was not going to move them with the cloud or move them with the fire. He's now going to move them with the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. So they have to shift their focus from a cloud in the sky and a fire at night to a box that contained, as it were, in their minds, the very presence of God. So there's a paradigm shift here. Now, you know, there's still some you know, scholars that say, well, really what it means here is it's geographical. What, what, what that statement means, you've never passed this way before. It's speaking of the geography of the land. You've, you've never put your foot here before. You're going someplace geographically where you've never been before. But other scholars say that it's not geographical, but it's spiritual. That God is saying, I'm getting ready to take you in the spirit realm someplace where you've never been before. You're going to see things that you've never experienced before. I'm going to take you up higher. I'm going to take you further. I'm going to expand what you have known in your relationship with me. So, so which one is correct? Which one is right? Well, my answer to you tonight would be that they're both right. Because they are getting ready to go somewhere where they've never been geographically. But they're also getting ready to go somewhere where they've never been spiritually. I'm you, isn't it good that God's thought it all out? We can't always come to a conclusion. But God knows what's going on. So the first is the purity factor. The second is the paradigm factor. Now, the next thing that we see in Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. Let's read that real quickly. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I don't know about you, but I could not have slept 
I, I wouldn't have even been able to go to bed. I would have just wanted to stay up all night and say, oh, tomorrow is going to be one of those magnificent days that, that is not only going to be directed by God, but we're going to see things that we've never seen before. God is going to do wonders among us. I, I just want to go on record as saying, there are so many people in the Christian faith who have not yet learned that walking with Christ is a joyful experience. At why so many long faces among the people of God? No matter what we're facing, we already know that we're victorious over it. You may have disease in your body, but you're going to win the battle. God is either going to supernaturally heal you on this side of glory or the instant that you draw your last breath, you're going to put off this old body of clay that was diseased and, and painful and, and, and you're going to put on a new body one of these days and you will be healed. I mean, whatever it is that we face one of these days, we will have victory. And I believe that we have the ability to have victory right now, even if it's nothing more than contentment with the fact that, God, if this is where I am for right now and you're, you're directing my steps, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. If it's from your hand, then, God, whatever it takes to please you, I'm willing to do that. And, and, and so... It's a wonderful, exciting journey with Christ. You don't have to wake up in the morning and say, oh, you know, I, I don't know, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. And we get so focused on, on the things we can't do that we fail to recognize that God has given us so many blessings and, and so much abundance in our life that if we'll just change our focus from the river that is flooded out of its banks trying to do harm to us and focus our attention on the new possibilities that God is giving to us. My goodness, every day of our life should be one of great blessing and great rejoicing. Amen. Amen. Every day is filled with new mercies. Our focus must be on the divine possibilities of what God will do next as opposed to to the demonic problems that we may encounter. And that's what I was just talking about. You should be filling, filling in your blanks right there. The first blank is divine possibilities. The second blank is demonic problems. We can get so focused on the devil. That's the reason I say around here all the time on Wednesday nights, please testify, but please don't, please don't glorify the devil. He hasn't done one thing that he deserves credit for. He's out to kill you, steal from you, destroy you, do everything that he can to tear you down. So don't focus your attention on him. Focus your attention on the divine possibilities. Amen. I mean, God has given us a wonderful opportunity here in our body of believers to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it hard? Sure it is. Will it be difficult? Sure it will. But listen, we've got all the resources that we'll ever need. And if we need more, God is able to supply it. Amen? And so we have to get focused upon the divine possibilities rather than the demonic problems. And only one person can bring about that change, and it is you. I can't make you change your mindset. 
I can preach all day long, every Sunday, every week, and encourage you to do something different. But at some point, you have to say, I'm going to stop seeing all the negative around me, and I'm going to start seeing the positive possibilities that exist in Christ Jesus. The Bible Dictionary says the Jordan's resources are the great slopes of Mount Hermon. Between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, the Jordan flows through a deep depression known as the Gore. The Valley of Gore is three miles wide on the north end and 12 miles wide at the city of Jericho. The Jordan Riverbed itself, known as the Czar, is a quarter of a mile to two miles wide and runs 65 miles from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The Jordan River is a winding, snake-like river and thus covers many more than 65 miles in meanderings. And so what we're talking about is a river that is a, a huge obstacle. It's like living in West Virginia. I lived there for six years. But, for, but from Beckley to Charleston is just a matter of a few miles. But if they would have moved the mountains out of the way and just built the road straight from Beckley to Charleston, you could have been there in a New York minute. But because the mountains were in the way and you're going back and forth and up and down, and it, it would take forever to get to Charleston. And that's what we're saying about the Jordan River. It was 65 miles, as, as the crow flies, as they say, from one location from the beginning to the end, 65 miles, but because it snaked around in this valley of gore, then it, it was many, many more miles. Now, if God came to you and said, look, I'm going to take you on a journey, but don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It's only 65 miles, and you'll get there. It won't be hard. You know, I'll get you from point A to point B. It's 65 miles, and here we go. Let's go. And then, But God failed to tell you, or he didn't tell you, to keep you from getting discouraged that that 65 miles was really 165 miles by the time you took in all the ups and downs and in and outs and right-hand turns and left-hand turns. How many of you would have signed up for a journey like that? You see, it's an obstacle that we have to face. This formidable obstacle provided one of the greatest showcases in history of God's power. Now, here they are. They're standing on the bank of, of the Jordan River, and they need resources. They, they understand that there are some things that they're going to need. And I like this statement. This extraordinary feat could not be accomplished with ordinary means. This extraordinary feat could not be accomplished with, this without or, with ordinary means. Now, how many of you have looked at circumstances that you've been facing and you've thought, this is an extraordinary circumstance. This is, uh, boy, this is something that's too big for me. I, I'm just not, I'm not sure. 
It just seems impossible to me. I don't know how my kids are ever going to turn their lives around. I don't care. I, I don't know how this one's ever going to get off the addiction. I don't know how if my marriage will ever survive. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get the promotion. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and it just seems that it's out of our reach. And you know what the problem is? Is that we try to accomplish things with ordinary means. We think, well, I'll get this promotion at work by, by being nice to my boss or being nice to the person. And that won't hurt. But what I'm saying to you is, is that there are times that you have to get yourself out of the ordinary realm into the realm of the extraordinary. There are times that you've got to get yourself out of the realm of the natural and reach up and take hold of some supernatural resources and say, God, this cannot happen without you. It's like when the disciples came and they'd been trying to cast out demons. And they came to Jesus and they said, why will the demons not leave? And Jesus said, this kind will not go out with ordinary prayer These will only go out with prayer and fasting. He didn't say they won't go out. He didn't say you don't have authority over them. He didn't say that you can't cast them out in my name. He said they won't go out using ordinary means. You've got to raise the bar. You've got to get in the spirit. You've got to fast. You've got to pray. You've got to talk by faith because this is not going to happen in an ordinary way. Some of us are facing circumstances right now. And and if all we do is just try to do it in the flesh and try to keep doing what we've always done and and stay in this realm of the ordinary, sometimes we get so, so afraid of what God is going to do and so afraid of releasing the Spirit of God to take us to some place where we've never been before. Listen, God's not out to embarrass you. He's not out to defeat you. That's what the devil's trying to do to you. He's trying to give you supernatural, extraordinary anointing that will take you from an ordinary circumstance to an extraordinary victory in your life. So how how does he go about doing it? The first thing that he does, we see in Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He magnifies God's man. He magnifies God's man. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses... So I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, here's Joshua, and he really just now is coming into his anointing. This is the first real obstacle that he faces. And God says to him, Don't be afraid, I'm going to begin today to exalt you in the eyes of the people. In other words, I'm going to use you in such a way that people are going to look at you and they're going to say, now now there's a leader, there's a man of God, there's someone with some anointing. We can follow this guy. It's not about charisma, it's not about hairstyle, it's not about clothing, it's not about talent. 
It's about who God chooses to use and then raise up to a place where people can see that the anointing of God is on this individual. But there has to be a leader. There has to be someone who has the anointing of God. You say, but I don't have anybody in my life but just me. Then you be the leader. So, well, who's going to follow? Follow yourself. I mean, get the mind of Christ and determine what it is that you need to do. And if none go with you, decide to follow Jesus anyway. And say, I'll lead myself. I'll lead my own self if I have to. But somebody has to lead. And, and so many times we're all just standing around waiting for somebody to lead. And God's saying to Joshua, today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not a week from now, not a month from now, a year from now, I am going to exalt you in the eyes of the people. You know, it, it seems to me that this is a dangerous place to be. Uh, you know, I, I can relate to it to some degree because, you know, I get feedback from people in the congregation on a regular basis. And, and you know, I can always pretty well tell when I preach good and when I haven't preached good. Because when I haven't done so hot, people want to talk to me about the weather and how, you know, uh, what we're going to do this week and, and, and this and that and whatever. But when I preach good, they'll say, oh, that was good, Pastor. I said, you know, that really touched my life. I was going through this. There's no way you could have known that. And, and, and I would much rather you tell me I preach good than the weather's going to be good. Because I know what you're saying to me. Now, I said that to make this point. You know, it's, it's a dangerous place for a leader to be if... He or she is dependent upon other people exalting them and building them up. And, and it's, it's especially dangerous when we start thinking too much of ourselves. When we start thinking, man, they ought to be glad they've got me. You can't pay me enough money. You know, you can't bless me enough to be, you ought to be blessed just by remembering that I'm here among you. Boy, I'm telling you. It's a dangerous place to be. And scripture talks an awful lot about humility. Think, talks an awful lot about think not uh, more highly of yourself than you ought to think. If I'd have been Joshua and God said to me, tomorrow I'm going to start exalting you in the eyes of the people, I would have said, <laughs> wait just a minute, God, I'm not sure I want that or not. You know, because I, I, I can get a tendency to get the big head. I, I can get a little too big for my britches, you know. And, and, and yet, God said, I'm going to do it. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm just asking you to obey me. I'm just asking you to represent me. And as you personally represent me by obeying me and leading according to my principles, the people around you are going to say, ah, we have a leader just like we had in Moses. We can follow this man because he's not leading in the flesh. He's leading in the spirit. Every endeavor requires a leader. Every leader is required to know the destination. You know, wouldn't it be something if you had a pastor here who just, who just said, you know, I really don't know what to do next. I, I, don't, I don't really know what God wants. 
I don't really know, you know, what, what kind of vision do you have, Pastor? I, I, you know, I don't really know. I've only said that to you one time, and it was the day that I was candidating to be your pastor. And someone asked me, what is your vision? And I said, I don't have one. I said, number one, I'm not your pastor. And number two, I don't know you. I don't know the demographics of this community. I don't, I don't know. But if you select me to be your pastor, God will give me the vision that I need to have in order to lead this church where he wants it to go. It's not my vision anyway. It's not what I want anyway. It can't be about me. It has to be about him. It has to be about the reason that he birthed this church in the first place. He didn't need another church to be exactly like Highview Baptist or, or like the Methodist church. He needed us to be who we are and who he called us to be. And he's got to have a leader in place who can see that vision and focus in on that destination and then begin going that direction. So there, ha there has to be a leader required to know the destination. Every leader must be willing to lead boldly. Uh, let me tell you something. When, when a pastor starts thinking more about church growth than he does about scripture and spiritual mature, maturity, he's in a bad place. And sadly, we hear so much in the church these days about if we'll do this, this, and this, we can grow a big church. I'm convinced that there are pastors who can grow big churches and not even be saved. They don't even know who Jesus is because they're building an organization on worldly principles. I mean, how else can you explain building a church but saying we're going to be seeker sensitive, we're not going to offend anyone with the gospel? Fooey. Can we edit that out of the tape? I, I, I mean, how, how can a church be a church if we're not promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ? You ought to be offended. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will be offended by the gospel until such time that you believe that it's true and when you believe that it's true and accept Christ into your life, you won't be offended anymore. You'll say, why did I wait so long? But you can build churches all day long on principles the same way that you would grow Walmart. The same way that you would grow IGA or, or, or whoever. Natural, natural growth principles. But the church is to be the representation of Jesus Christ in the world. And that won't always, that won't always look like church growth. There will be people that will get saved and be influenced. I'm amazed at this internet thing and how it's happened. I've brought it up several times. but It just amazes me. I've got people sending me texts now from this little devotional that, that we're doing on a daily basis. I don't know if you've been getting that or not thespiritlife.org, and, and it's just a simple little devotion in the morning. I've got people that live in other parts of the world who are now tagging into that 
and coming and listening or, or reading those devotionals every day. I don't even have, know who they are. But what if they're out there and they're not saved and they don't know Jesus Christ? And they somehow get in their spirit that I need to know this Jesus that these people are talking about. They may never step foot in our church, but if they're brought into the kingdom of God, then we've got to be rejoicing over that kind of thing. Amen? So we, we, we've got to have leaders who are willing to lead boldly. Uh, one cannot change his destination by continuing to travel the same pathway. Sometimes we have to do things differently. And then every leader must lead with humility. Again, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and his ability to get us where we need to go. The next thing is he magnified God's word. Joshua chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. I could stop right there and that'd be enough. Come here and listen. Don't come listen to me. Come listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail, say without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, a lot of ites there. He said, this is the way it's going to happen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now, Joshua rallied the people not around his charisma, not around his personality, but around the promise of the word of God. And I, when I wrote my notes, I said he rallied them around the perceived word of God. I said perceived because one must not only hear the word, but then must act on it in faith. Be ye not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well because the blessing comes in the doing of the word of God. Jeremiah 36. Do you remember? It's a long story. don't have to go, time to go into it, but there's a king named Jehoiakim and he's given a prophecy by Jeremiah who gives it to Baruch and Baruch writes it all down and, and, and scribes it on a, on a scroll. A year later, Baruch takes that scroll to King Jehoiakim and they read it, a guy by the name of Jehudi. How would you like to have a name like Jehudi? <laughs> Jehudi takes the scroll and he opens it up before Jehoiakim and starts reading the word of the Lord. And you know what? You know what Jehoiakim did? As he read... He took a knife and he would cut off parts of the scroll. And when he would cut off the part of the scroll, he threw it into the fire. And Jehudi would read a little bit more and he'd get the scroll and he'd cut some more of it off and put it in the fire. And long story short is, he continued to do this. He would cut the scroll and throw it into the fire as Jehudi was reading it and it all burned up. And the Lord said to him, he said, you will not have an heir to take 
the kingdom after you. You know what's so interesting to me is that history does not report what happened to Jehoiakim. We don't know how he died. He may have died from toenail fungus. We just don't know. I, I don't know. But I do know this. He was the end of his lineage because God had declared a curse upon him because he disrespected the word of God. Isn't that something? So the greatest authority, fill that in your blank, the greatest authority with which Joshua could lead was invoking the very words of God. Invoking the words of God. And the last thing that I want to share with you tonight is Joshua 3, 11 through 17. Read all that when you get home. Read that entire passage right there, 3, 11 through 17. But let me take you to verse 17. It says, Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan River. <laughs> Picture that. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The very thing that God said would do, would happen, is exactly what happened. Extraordinary results because of God. Two things are always required. The first thing, fill this in in your blank, the first thing required is the faith of God's people. It doesn't matter how great the promise is, if you don't choose to believe it and receive it, it will never work for you. As strong as the word of God is, it will never do anything for you until you have faith and believe it. The second thing that you'll always need is the faithfulness of God. God won't say to you, I'll do this and then not do it. God won't make you a promise and then say, I was just kidding. I had my fingers crossed. You couldn't tell, but my toes were crossed. Did you ever play that game in, in middle school? God won't do that to you. If God says this is what's going to happen, if you'll believe it, if you'll have faith in it, he'll be faithful to it. Let me close with this last Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 through 3. I love this passage of scripture. It says, but now thus saith the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Listen, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstance, no matter how much the river may seem to be raging around you, we didn't even get into the fact that it was flood season. The Jordan River was flowing very quickly. It was almost out of control. And when those priests had to walk into that flooding river and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they know that if I touch the Ark, I will die. And if I stumble and fall in the raging river, I'm going to die. This is not going to be an easy task. But they weren't doing it in their power. They were doing it with the anointing of God. 
And that's what you've got to remember. It doesn't matter how fast the current is. It doesn't matter if your circumstance has come out of the bank. It doesn't matter if God said step into the water. You better step into the water. Because the instant that you do, he's going to roll in the answer for whatever it is that you have need of. Isn't that good? The word of God's powerful. Amen. If we'll just take it, if we'll just take it. As Floyd Lahan used to say, if I throw my Bible at you, will you take it? Man, he did it all the time. Father, thank you for...